Saved me, 
let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher. Jesus, we thank you for your victory over death, Lord, that you are strong enough to break the power of sin and death, Lord, um, once and for all, Lord, so we stand on that grace, we stand on that finished work, Lord, God, and we give you all the praise and all the honor, all the glory, God, and um, Lord, be with us this morning as we continue our service, God, in your name, Jesus, amen. Well, happy Mother's Day again, why don't you guys turn and greet each other. Um, I'll read, and you can follow along. And then we'll begin to go through these verses. It says in chapter 35, verse 1 of the book of Genesis, it says, Then God said to Jacob, Arise, and go to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to, and Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me in the way in which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem's. And they journeyed, verse 5, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he had fled from the face of his brother. Now, Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. She, so the name of it was called um, Alan um, Bakuth, and the Lord then, in verse 9, appeared to Jacob again, and when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, your name is Jacob, <clears throat> or, or your, name, your name is Jacob, your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel, and God 
Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply a nation, and a company of nations shall proceed from you. And kings shall come from your body. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. To the descendants after you, I give, to this, land, I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And so Jacob set a pillar in the place where he had talked with him, a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of that place where God spoke with him, Bethel. Then, verse 16, they journeyed from Bethel and went there up a little distance to go to Ephrath. And Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. And now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Onai, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is a pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. Now the twelve sons, now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulon. And the sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. And the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilphah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre and Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. <coughs> uh, this is quite a different chapter than the one that we were reading about last week. And um, when you take the events that we've been reading about and you place them on a timeline, as you, as you look back and even look forward to some of the, the dates and ages of some of the people that we're reading about, what you can... What we begin to determine, one of the first things that we need to see as we look at this next chapter is that eight years, approximately eight years has passed since Jacob has crossed back over the Jordan River and into the land of Canaan. That time when he, he first met Esau, when God bought him back from his, his, his father-in-law Laban. And even though God had told Jacob to go to Bethel, we know as we were studying from the last couple of weeks that the first place that he went to was a place called Sokuth where Jacob built a house for himself, and he built corrals for his, 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 his flocks. And, and he, he, he didn't stay there long, but when he did decide to move, uh, again, Bethel, this place that we're reading about here, Bethel was not in his sights. As we know that he moved even further northward, actually more of a northwest direction to the city of Shechem, where he bought a piece of land, we're told, and, and took possession of some property there in, in the promised land. We talked about how even that was another act of being out of God's will when we were studying through that because God's people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his descendants, they were to inherit the land, but God was to possess it. They were to be pilgrimers and, and, pilgrims and sojourners. And, and it was a, a reminder, the book of Hebrew tells us that, that, they were, that, that this was not their home. 
just like it's not for us. You know, this, this earth, those who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, this is not our home. We have a heavenly home. We have a heavenly citizenship, and we look forward to that. And such was the case also with the children of Israel and, and, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But, but we see that when they decided to move again, and they moved down to, to, to Bethel and, 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 and buy a piece of land there, really what they were doing in, in Jacob with his household as a whole is they were dwelling with the pagan people of the land. They were abiding with them. And, and that's significant when we read about that. Because that word abide and that word dwell uh, uh, means more than just something, more than just living next to something. They were a part of it. They were, co- they were, they were, they were becoming a part of, of the people there. And sadly, this is the place where, where we read last week where, where his daughter, where Jacob's daughter, Dinah, was, was raped. And, and, and his sons, Simeon and Levi, sought revenge and killed the men of the city of Shechem. Now, as we continue on, and into this chapter that we just read, into chapter 35, the first thing we, 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 we see, again, is that, is that God's speaking to Jacob. Jacob's in a place where he should not be, and, and God has a message to him. And, and I love the message because it's a message that's already been spoken. And often, guys, sometimes we're in that spot where we're, we're wanting to hear from God, and we're in that place, perhaps, where we know we shouldn't be. And, and we're wanting God to reveal or speak things to us. But you know what the message is? The message is the same that was delivered when we walked out of his place. It's like this. You guys, you guys who have kids, it's like sometimes I give chores to my kids. I know I'm probably a bad father for doing that. But I expect my kids to clean their room and help with the dishes. And, and some of my kids are better. Actually, none of my kids have been good at keeping their room clean. I, I think about that now. None of them. And, and, and they'll want to talk about going out with their friends, right? They want to hear from dad about what they can do this weekend or what they might be have. And, and you know what the discussion is? If the room's not clean, it's the same as it was before. Go clean your room. Go clean your room. And, and, and that's kind of what we see here going on in this chapter as God comes, speaks to Jacob again. And it's, it's, it's the same message. It's this message of go to Bethel, go to Bethel, go to Bethel. And, and, and God is literally in this instance, in this chapter, at the beginning of this chapter, he's calling him back to the place of his will. And that's a message that we, we all need to hear as believers in Christ because the truth is, is we sin, we stray, we, dirt, we detour, we get out of, out of God's will. But, but God speaks to us and he says in, in many various ways, specific to our situation, he says, come back to my will. Come back to that place. And he extracts, in doing that, he, we see that he instructs Jacob to, to leave Shechem and, and to go to Bethel and dwell there. And as we consider these things in light of what we read about last week in chapter 34, where Jacob was living in a place, dwelling in a place outside of God's will, we see this huge contrast in these two chapters. In fact, the underlying theme of this chapter, of chapter 35, in all of the things that we read about, even with the death of Rachel and the birth of Benjamin, the underlying theme is faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. And the emphasis is on cleansing and renewal. And I love that. It it reminds me of of Lamentations chapter 3 where 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 Jeremiah writes, and he's speaking to the children of Israel who have been taken captive the whole, the, the whole book of Jeremiah is about Jeremiah uh, uh, prophesying 
to the children of Israel and saying, God's judgment's coming, repent. God's judgment's coming, repent, and they don't. They're in this place where they're worshiping false gods, false idols, and God brings the, the, the Babylonians upon them, and, and they get taken into captivity. Well, the book of Lamentations is, is, is a weeping. It's a mourning of what had taken place. And there's this remnant that flee to Egypt, and, and Jeremiah is one of them, and he writes this book. But in Lamentations chapter 3, in the midst of God judging his people for their sin and their disobedience and disciplining them, Jeremiah writes that about the faithfulness of God and says that God's mercies are new every morning. I mean, all we have to do is, is wake up this morning and, 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 and come to this place of repentance where the Holy Spirit's convicted us in our hearts, where he's, he's revealed to us. We're in the place where we're outside of God's will. We hear the voice of God calling us back through the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and we can experience what Jacob experienced here, the mercies of God, the cleansing of God, that renewal of God, where we get a, a fresh start, a new beginning. And where God wasn't even mentioned one time back in chapter 34, the cool thing is, is in chapter 35 where we see this contrast, he's mentioned specifically 10 times. The name of God is, is for us 10 times. And each time, and this is pretty cool too, because when you study out the Old Testament, we know that God, the I Am, he's referred to, and he refers to himself with many variations of his name, Right? Adonai, and um, I, I don't have time to go through all the lists, but the name that's used here every single time in this chapter, in light of where Jacob has been, in light of what Jacob has done, in light of what was going on in his family, in light of what God was calling him back to with this new beginning, the name that God is referred to ten times in chapter, the variation that's used here is El Shaddai. That's the Hebrew name, and it specifically means God Almighty or God the all-sufficient one. And man, that's what we have to understand. That's what we have to realize as an aspect of God, as, a, as, as one of the natures or personality, a part of the personality of God is that he's God Almighty. He's the sufficient one. So why else would we need to go anywhere or, or, or do anything else other outside of God's will when he has everything that pertains to life and godliness for us? Everything. That we are, as it says in the book of Colossians, thoroughly complete in him, that Jesus is our all in all. And God wanted us to know that through the study of this chapter, and he wanted Jacob and his children, the children of Israel, to know that. And, and not just because of the new beginning, but there's some hard things here. He loses his wife. A son is born. Another son is, is, is caught up in sin. Even in the place of this new beginning, there's some still some difficult things going on. But you know what? God's still the almighty God. He's the all-sufficient one. And as we see Jacob exercise his faith in this chapter and come back to this place of being in God's will, we see this obedience, this, this, this obeying of God's instruction. And as we see this faith and this obedience working together, what we see through it all is we read about God's, intentionally we read about the, God's hand of protection that brought Jacob and his family safely to Bethel. Now, think about this. Because we, we usually get, I don't know about you, but I get myself sometimes in these situations where I'm disobeying God, and I know what God would have had me to do, and I'm like, God, this is a hard thing. Because when Jacob crossed into the promised land, he was confronted by Esau, his brother, right? And there was not clear restoration. There was a truce made between them, but there wasn't true 
forgiveness and restoration. And Jacob was fearful that if he was to go to Bethel, which was near Mount Sire, where his brother was, where his brother was at, that, that perhaps he would be in this place of danger. Actually, Bethel being south and, and Mount Sire being south. So what did Jacob do? He, can, he In his own understanding, he said, this is going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. It's dangerous for me. In his own thinking, setting aside the fact that God was all sufficient and that God already provided and protected for him. And so he, he, he goes northward, northwest, and he goes to, she- to Sokuth and to Shechem. And he gets in trouble in Shechem, right? This thing happens to his daughter in this place outside of God's will. His sons kill the inhabitants of all the city of Sh- all the men of Shechem. They take all the women and everything there for themselves. And, and Jacob's afraid, right? He's now afraid that all the other Canaanites are going to hear about it and they're going to gather together against him and kill him and kill his household. But God's still saying, go to Bethel. Has Jacob made it easier for himself or harder for himself through his own eyes? And man's vision to now travel. He's got to travel a great distance with more than just his brother as a potential enemy. He has all the other inhabitants of the city, of the, of the Canaanites of these cities that have to go by. And, and the point is, 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 it's always easier to do what God says when God says it. And when we don't, we get in these positions where we, we, we put other things around us that make it even more difficult at times. But God's faithful. God's bigger than even our failures and our mistakes in the hard spots that we put ourselves in. And that's what we see going on here. You see, we should realize that living in the place of God's will does not mean we won't escape the difficulties of life. And I know you've heard that in one form or one fashion or another. You know, you, know, you come to Christ and it's, all not, it's just not all a life of roses, you know, it, 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 it's full. We have difficulties. And, 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 and life isn't like that, but rather life, a Christian life, means walking with God by faith and knowing that he is with us and trusting him to help us for our good and for his glory. And this isn't no matter what the difficulties that God allows or permits to come into our lives. And for Jacob, there were several new things that God was bringing his way. We see this. Several new things that God was bringing his way. And the first was this new beginning. And when we consider the good news, guys, of the gospel message, the gospel message that tells us of God's salvation by grace through our faith in Jesus, who then delivers to us the forgiveness of our sins and this wonderful gift, this living hope that's attached to the eternal life that we've been promised, You know what? When we consider the good news message, that good news message, we must also recognize that the good news message, the good news of the gospel message, declares that we do not have to stay the way that we are. That we've been given a new beginning. That we become new creations through Christ Jesus. Furthermore, no matter how many times we fail in the Lord, in our own personal journey of faith that we're each on today, we can go home again and have a new beginning if we repent and obey. And not only do we see this example through Jacob's life, we see it also exampled through the life of other men in, in the Bible. Men like Abraham, same thing, a new beginning, repentance and obedience. Isaac as well. How about David? You know, he's one that comes to mind. David had great opportunity as, a, as an adulterer and as a murderer to have a new beginning 
to repent and to obey. How about Jonah, the prophet Jonah, got swallowed by a fish. Hopefully you don't have to get swallowed by a fish to get to the place where you have to come to repentance and obedience. But, you know, some, some of us are like that. Right here. You know, we're... we're where, but, but the cool thing about Jonah is even, even as God was giving him a new beginning, you know, he was way outside of God's will, and he taken a ship heading the opposite direction of where he was supposed to go. He got swallowed by the fish, and, and, and even in that, God was doing a work. You know, John Corson says it like this, the fish was moving. And where did Jonah get spit out? Right in the place where God had first told him to go. How about Peter, guys? I like Peter because Peter denied Christ three times. And yet Lord came to him and said and restored him and through repentance and obedience, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And that's the message of this morning. And God's speaking to us, and it's a message of love, and he's calling us back, and he calls us back into that place of a love relationship and gives us a new beginning when we can mess things up so, so bad. So if we look back to the beginning of this chapter, I want to pray, and then we'll go through these verses, so if you join with me. Father, we thank you, God, for this day when we can celebrate our moms, the ladies in our lives, God, who are so important. And Lord, we want to honor them today because we know that they're precious in your sight and they're precious to us. So Lord, we pray a blessing over the ladies in this fellowship this morning. God, may they see the value that they have in you and in motherhood and in the call that you've given them, Lord, to raise up your children, our children. Lord, as we study through your word this morning, we pray, God, that you would teach us by your spirit. Lord, your word is truth and is applicable to our lives. And we're grateful, God, that it is a lamp unto our feet to guide us in the world that is growing ever darker. But Lord, as the light, as the world grows darker, we know that your son, who is the light of the world, is coming back and that he drives out the darkness. And Father, as, as, as he is in us, Lord, may we be those lights and those beacons to this lost and dying world, Lord, as a, as a hope of salvation to them. And, and Lord, may you open our mouths to share of the good news of salvation by grace through faith and a new beginning for all who come to you. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 1, if we look back here, it says, Then God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you first fled from, fled, fled from the face of your brother Esau. Now, sometimes, guys, we get in these spots where we're in a place of disobedience, and, and we are like our kids where we go, God, but I already did that. And Jacob is this, I could, I'm thinking, of, I put myself in Jacob's spot, and he's, although he's outside of the will of God, did he not build an altar? Did he not make a vow declaring God and, and fulfilled that vow by declaring God to be his God here in, in this place in Shechem? And, and, and fortunately for Jacob, he didn't, you know, God, but I already did that. Dad, I already did that. He hears and he listens. And, and we know that, that in, in, in this whole situation, kind of recapping just a little bit more, we know that Jacob at this point was disappointed to begin with with his sons for what they had done. And even though Levi <coughs> and, and um, uh, what's his name, Simeon, Levi, Levi and Simeon are mentioned by name, what we know is that that all of the sons came along with them and at least looted the rest of the city. And so Jacob was disappointed with his sons for what he had done to the people of Shechem. I'm sure he was a little disappointed with himself too as he being a deceiver 
before, you know, and, and, and be known as a deceiver, that his sons used that same tactic that they learned from his father to deceive these men. So there was much disappointment go, to, to be spread around, but we know that he was afraid, like I said. More than he was disappointed, he was afraid that when the other Canaanite people heard of what had happened, that they would come together, kill him, he said, and kill his household. Yet it's important to notice that when God spoke to Jacob here in verse 1, in light of what had happened, okay, keep in mind, keep in mind what had just had happened. In light of what had happened, I mean, think about this. This is supposed to be, God had chose Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his descendants, and give them all these awesome promises that they're going to be the one where a where a king is going to raise up, a Messiah is going to be raised up, they're going to inherit this, this land, that they're going to be numbered as many as the sands of the sea and the, and the stars in the sky. All these wait, awesome, wonderful, great promises. And Jacob, as well as his forefathers, also blow it this big. You would think, you would think I would think that God would go, what did I do? This is, this is the family from whom greatness is going to come, that I'm going to rise up. Yet it's important to notice that when God spoke to Jacob in light of what had happened, it wasn't condemnation. What he commanded Jacob, listen very carefully to the words. He said, to arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there. And he spoke of going up. Now this is significant. He spoke of going up even though Bethel was down. Bethel, geographically, in a map, is, is a little over 30 miles south of Shechem. But God didn't say go down to Shechem or, or to, to Bethel. He said go up. And the point is, is, even though this call from God would have moved Jacob down geographically, it was a call that would lift Jacob up spiritually. And out of a place of depravity, fear, sorrow, discouragement, disappointment, Arise and go up. And he and his family had entered into all of these things, the, de the despair, the depravity, the fear, the sorrow, as a result of being in a place, living in a place, dwelling in a place that God had not commanded them to be. Remember, even though Jacob had returned to the land of Canaan, this is, this is part of, of it, is, is because what we have to see is, is he entered, he did go back into the land of Canaan, right? He just didn't go to Bethel. But you know what that was? It was partial obedience. It was partial obedience. Because God had said, Jacob, go to Bethel, a place that had been named by him when God first met with him as he was fleeing 20 years previously, a place that had been called the house of God. And God called him to this place and wanted him to return there because God's desire was for Jacob to dwell in his presence, not with pagan people, but in his presence and to worship him. So, so in calling Jacob back to Bethel, we see that God was also reminding Jacob of his past desperate situation that he was in over 20 years ago. And this was a reminder for Jacob of how God had been faithful 20 years ago to deliver him from Esau when he first had fled. And this was important because Jacob and his household would not have to travel through these lands of these other Canaanite people who had certainly have heard by now of what had happened in Shechem. There was a real fear, a real reason to be afraid. 
But in addition to reassuring Jacob of his past faithfulness to protect him, we see that God was also telling Jacob, who had strayed away, to return to Bethel, to go back to that place where he had first met God, to that place where he had first fell in love with God. You know what, guys? This is a message that God speaks to all of his children who have taken a detour. For all of us who have strayed out of his will. In fact, this message, this is the same message that's found in the book of Revelation that's written by Jesus or spoken to Je- by Jesus to the church in Ephesus. In chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, where Jesus said this. He said, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. What's the fir- what? There's only one work. The first work is the whole work. Love the Lord your God. And, and this message to remember, to repent, and to return to the first love that God spoke to Jacob and that Jesus spoke to the church in Ephesus is a message that I think we need to be reminded of today. Because it reminds us of this. It reminds us, first of all, of God's willingness to forgive. Because we go to these places like Shechem when we need to be in Bethel. And we go, and, and things happen, and we go, we go, man, and, and the enemy speaks in our ear, and our heart condemns us, and, and it goes, God's not going to forgive you. You did this 32 times now. But that message of return and do the work, the first work, it reminds us of God's willingness to forgive and of his willingness to give us a new beginning. Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel. A new beginning by turning away from our sin, by putting away the impure things that we have allowed into our lives, and then ultimately by walking in obedience. In light of this, it's important for us to realize that many of the problems that we encounter in our lives today, in our Christian lives today, guys, is a result of incomplete obedience. In other words, We know what God wants us to do, and we start to do it, but for many different reasons, we stop. We only go part way. Yet in doing so, we don't accomplish God's will. In fact, what the Bible tells us, not only do we not accomplish God's will, that partial obedience that we've we've entered into, that, that we've begun, that partial obedience even starts to die. It means nothing. And Jesus spoke against this. He also spoke against this in the book of Revelation in chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, this time to the church in Sardis. And he said this about partial obedience. He said, wake up. Strengthen Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, same message, therefore, what you have received and heard Obey it and repent. Now, apparently, Jacob <coughs> had learned his lesson. For not only did he address his household, telling them in verse 3 that he was going to rise up, that they were going to rise up and go to Bethel, we see in verse 2 that the first thing that he does is that he sets to get his house in order by issuing two commands. First, by telling his people 
there in his household to put away all of their idols, these foreign gods that were among them. And we know that when Jacob had fled from Laban, that his wife, Rachel, his most favorite wife, right, stole her father's idols. But Jacob also knew that there were other false gods, other idols in the camps that were around them. They had allowed for this to come in. And clearly Jacob had allowed for the things of this world from which he and his family had been separated from to creep back in. That's what happens with partial obedience. That's what happens in a detour. And this was evident not only by his son's evil behavior, but also by the fact that his household was apparently full of these foreign gods. Yet, with God's loving and gracious call to have Jacob come back to Bethel and have fellowship with him, we see that Jacob commanded his family to get rid of these things. To get rid of these these things of the world that were stealing their affections for God. In addition to this, Jacob gave them the second command, telling the people to purify themselves and to change their garments. Now, the the significance of this is somewhat lost, I think, to us today in light of the fact that, you know what, we have indoor plumbing, and we have many changes of clothing in our closets. So if we were told to take a shower and change our clothes, it might not seem like such a big deal to us, unless you're a teenager. Specifically boys. <laughs> but you know what? It was, it was a big deal for these ancient nomadic people who did not have running water, nor did they have closets full of clothes. But guys, it wasn't an important request because it was a difficult thing to do. Although it was difficult, it was more important because it was symbolic of making this new beginning that God was calling Jacob and his household to enter into. In fact, many places in Scripture, washing is symbolic of the removal of sin and, 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 and the receiving of a new beginning. For example, in Psalm 51, verse 2, it says this, Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it also says this, Since we have these promises, dear friends, Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. I just looked up and I thought, wow, I've only been teaching for 10 minutes. The clock's broken. (laughs) I'm like, I better slow down. Am I really talking that fast? But since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit perfecting holiness out of a reverence or out of a love, out of a respect, out of a fear for God. You see, the point is, guys, if we're going to answer this call, seriously, we need to think about this this morning because the truth is, is nobody nobody here is in a place of perfection where we are completely submitted and completely full of the obedience that God calls and expects. And you may be in a great spot spiritually, but the message is the same. God's always wanting to cleanse us, sanctify us, purify us, make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. But it's something that we have to enter into. Every single day is a new beginning to become a new creation in Christ Jesus where we're letting the old man, the old way of things be put to death, reckoning the old man did 
to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. I don't know what that is for you. I know what it is for me. But today, if we're going to answer the call to return to our first love, then the first thing that needs to happen is there must be repentance. And repentance simply means to turn away from the sin in order to completely obey God and to put away the things of the world that we have allowed into our lives that have stolen our affections for God, returning to our first love. In order that we might return back to the place where we love God alone, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. And you may think, I'm doing that, I have that. But if you've allowed for an idol in, a foreign God, a thing of this world, where you've made a compromise, where you know that God says, that's not right. You're not perfecting holiness. Then part of your affection that God alone deserves needs to be taken away and given back to the Lord. And this is what Jacob was willing to do as he buried the idols under the tree, leaving them behind, and set out in verse 5, it says, we're told to journey to Bethel. And it says, And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, where, and, and he and all the people who were with him. But he built an altar there, or Annie built an altar there and called it El Bethel. I love that. Because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. <clears throat> now it's important to point out that even though Jacob was afraid of being killed by these other Canaanite people, he trusted in God at this moment and went. He went to Bethel. You know what? And like God always does, he kept his promise. In spite of the bigger mess that Jacob made, the greater danger that Jacob created for himself and for his family, God kept his promise to protect him. And as, we, as, he, moved towards, as he moved towards Bethel, we're told that the terror of God was upon the cities all around them as they traveled. Meaning... And I don't want to look so much into the meaning of the terror of God. I'd rather leave that up to your imagination. But this is the important thing in that we need to see this. Meaning that as the terror of God was upon all of these cities, what we see is that all that Jacob had to do was walk the path that God had called him to be on. And when we consider this, we see that when God's people, when we are doing God's will in God's way, we can depend upon God's provision and protection. Let God do it. In other words, when we fear God, we have no need to fear anyone or anything else. Now, when Jacob had first entered the land of Canaan, and he set up camp, and talk about this altar thing, when he set up camp outside of the city of Shechem, we're told that he built this altar in order to sacrifice, right? To worship. And to publicly declare that the God of his grandfather Abram and, 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 the, and of his father Isaac was also his God. But think about that. Where was he at? What was he doing? And when he did this, he, he, he did it in his mind in order to fulfill a vow that he had made at Bethel 
20 years previously where God had first made all these problems, promises to him. And he said to God, God, if you keep all these promises to me, you'll be my Lord. You'll be my God too. But the problem with that altar in Shechem and with that vow that was made there is that it, 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 was, um, it, was, it was a sacrifice or a, 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 a statement that was made to God while Jacob was in the place of disobedience. And like we talked about last week, guys, sacrifice is not a substitute for obedience. And God's desire is for our obedience. And he desires our obedience far above our sacrifices. Furthermore, the sacrifices that we offer to the Lord while we are living in disobedience has no benefit. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You know, a lot of people think about that and, and it's come to have this ulterior meaning about like using the name of God as a cuss word. That's not what it means. What it, what it means is, is you say, I'm a follower of God. For our instance, a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian, but you don't live like you are. That's taking the name of God in vain. That's what Jacob was doing. Publicly declaring that I'm a follower of God, yet I'm living in this place outside of God's will. So Jacob realizing this, because what did God say? He didn't say just go to Bethel, did he? Arise and go up to Bethel. He said, arise, go up to Bethel, and build an altar. God already did that. Build an altar. <laughs> Do it in the place of obedience, where it's not done in vain. And so realizing this with this new beginning, then he built another altar to God when he reached Bethel. And from now a place of obedience, he sacrificed and he worshiped God. Does God desire our sacrifices? Yes, we're told to be a living sacrifice, that our lives are to be a living sacrifice. Does God desire our worship? Yes, we've been created, designed to worship God. But guys, it's got to be a place, from a place of obedience with sincerity in our hearts. And in doing so, as Jacob did this, we see in verse 7, I love this, that Jacob gave a new name to an old place. If you look back to chapter 28, verse 19, we're told that he had first named this place. It was, it was named Luz, but he renamed it and called it Bethel, which means the house of God. And now he expanded upon all of these things, upon this new beginning, he expanded the name to be El Bethel. It seems a little redundant, but when you really study it out in the Hebrew, what it means this is it means instead of the house of God, it means the God of Bethel, the God of the house of God. And in light of this, we see that Jacob come to understand that the place wasn't that that the place wasn't what was important it's kind of like saying i'm going to church because god's there you're the church that we we have over the building god's in us and as we see this uh, what we need to see is we need to see that it's important to see that 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 god was the god of the place And this, and this should challenge us to examine our own lives and to ask the question, is God the God of our place? Is God the God of our place? In other words, is 
God the God of every area of our lives? Or are there still areas of our lives that we are holding on to, that we're holding back and, and, and allowing God to have imis, limited, having some kind of limited access to the life that he purchased, that he bought with the blood of his son? How much of him does he own? How much of you does he own? God, you can come into the living room, but you can't come into these closets. You know, come on in, God, and sit down and have a meal. You can come into the kitchen, but my bedroom, Lord, is off limits. Limited access to the life that he's purchased. Is he the God of your place? Now with the construction and the dedication of this altar, we see that, that, that God, on his part, reaffirmed his call on Jacob's life. And in doing so, God, in verse 9, he reminded Jacob, first of all, of who he no longer was. Jacob, you're Jacob, <laughs> the deceiver. You are no longer him. He reminded him not only of who he no longer was, but of who he had become. You are no longer Jacob the deceiver. You are Israel, the prince with God. But guys, in, 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 in reaffirming that new name that, that he had already given to him on that night when they wrestled together, we see that God in verse 11 also reaffirmed his name, his own name. God reaffirmed his own name with this word, this Hebrew word, El Shaddai, and said, I am God Almighty. You are Israel, a prince with God, but I am God. I am God Almighty. So inasmuch as Jacob was declaring God to be his God, I love this, because that's what Jacob was doing here, right? God, you're my God. You're God of this place. We see that God, in spite of Jacob's lack of faith and eight years of disobedience that took him out of the will of God, we see God graciously declaring to Jacob that he was still his God. Or that Jacob was still his. Jacob, you're my, Jacob's saying, God, you're my God. And Jacob, and God is saying to Jacob, Jacob, you're mine. You're mine. And the point is, is that Jacob's restoration was now complete. Israel's future, all the promises that God had made to Jacob were still secure. And he was back in the place of God's um, choosing. And he had offered himself and the sacrifices to the Lord. And the Lord had spoken to him. And the covenant promises had been reaffirmed. And he had come, to the, he had come if you will, full circle from the, from the house of Laban back to the house of God. And though he still had much to learn with this walk, with this walk of faith, with this life journey that it was on, you see what we see here is that Jacob was now starting to be Israel. And he was beginning to live as a child of God. And so in verse 16, we read on, and it says, Then they journeyed from Bethel, and, and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth. Uh, you know, you have to make the connection here. And we know Rachel's story, but when God reaffirmed these promises and, 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 and spoke to Jacob saying, Yeah, Jacob, you're claiming me as your God, but I'm claiming you again as mine. I'm reaffirming that to you. He said to him in verse 11, he said, I am God, be fruitful and multiply, right? It looks like Jacob heeded that call. And, and, and Rachel was conceived again, and she labored in childbirth, and she had a hard labor, and now it came to pass when she was in hard labor 
But the midwife said to her, do not fear, you will also have, for you, for you will have this son also. And so it was as uh, her soul was departing for her, for she died, that she called his, his name Benoni, but his father called his name Benjamin. Benjamin. Now, we see that in addition to this wonderful new beginning that God had given Jacob and the children of Israel, his descendants, we see in these remaining verses that God also gave Jacob a new son. And with new beginnings come new things. And I suspect that when Jacob's wife, Rachel, learned that she was once again pregnant, that it must have given both him, Jacob, and his wife joy. After all, Rachel, as we already mentioned, was his favorite wife. And we know that she'd only be able to conceive and give birth to one son. She was barren for a long time. That son was Joseph. And we know that in naming that child Joseph, which, which means he will add another, that Rachel back in chapter 30, verses 22 through 24, that she in that moment expressed also with the birth of this son, the, the fulfillment of a gift, that, that she expressed this, con, this discontentment or lack of contentment with God's provision. And in doing so, she voiced her desire for another son, saying, the Lord shall add to me another son. But even though Rachel expressed a lack of contentment, which we can often focus on and, 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 and maybe over-focus on, we also see that she also expressed her faith, her faith, her faith in God to provide another son. And God graciously answered her prayers and gave her Benjamin. And now Jacob had 12 sons who would be the founders of the 12 tribes of Israel. But as often can be the case with life, this time of rejoicing was soon filled with the grief of Rachel's death and with the sin of Reuben. And when we get to chapter 48, we'll read about the blessings that Jacob speaks over each one of his sons before he dies. And this incident between Reuben and, uh, and Bilhah will be remembered. And so it's, it's probably best for us to look at what happened here in the context of Jacob's blessing. So we'll wait for it until we get to chapter 48. But if Justin wants to come back up, and we're going to get ready this morning to close. And in closing, we're going to um, have the, uh, some of the leaders in the church come forward here in a little bit to be able to uh, invite you to come up for prayer, to receive prayer, to partner in prayer with others who you know. Maybe God's, like we've been talking about, you know, calling you into a place of a new beginning, and, and you can enter into that through prayer. So um, we're going to close with two songs, and I have one final thought, and then the, then the guys will come forward to, to lead you in prayer. But in closing, I want to point out one last thing, and it's this demonstration of Jacob's faith through the changing of Benjamin's name. For we're told that when Jacob, or when, that when Rachel realized that she was going to die giving birth, that she named her son Ben-Onai, which literally means son of sorrows. And even though Rachel's death was a sad thing, the fact of the matter is, is the birth of this child was not a sad thing. It was a blessing, something to rejoice in. Yet in the midst of losing his wife, what we see is that it took faith in God to see the blessing and the joy even in the midst of the sorrow. And I admire Jacob for that. I, I, I want to see his example and apply it to my own life. And, and fortunately, I will never have, I pray that I'll never have to go through that losing a child thing. I can only imagine how difficult, I can't think of any greater pain than losing a child. 
But when we put our faith in God, and when we trust in him and see that he's got great things for us and that he loves us and he has a plan and a purpose, we can see, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of the grief, through our faith, we can see the blessing. We can find reasons to rejoice. To find the joy and the blessing in the midst of the sorrow. And we see this is evident by the fact that, that Jacob was able to do this, and it's evident by changing this son's name, Benoni, which speaks to the sorrow of the circumstances, to Benjamin, which literally means son of the right hand, or some translations say it like this, son, the son is strength, which speaks to the blessing, which speaks to the joy as a result of his birth. And that's my prayer for us this morning, that as we... Come to God through repentance, remembering, coming back to that place of where we first fell in love with him, doing that first work, experiencing the new beginning, that in the midst of some of the grief and the sorrow that may even come from the past or that may come in the future, that we would be in this place that through our faith that we would be able to see that the Son, Jesus, is strength and that we have reason to rejoice and to be filled with joy. Father, we thank you, God, for this time together to study your word, to receive encouragement, Lord, through it, even rebuke and correction, instruction in the way of righteousness. And Father, as we join together now and worship again through song, we pray, God, that you would be glorified and, and lifted high in this place. God, that we would come to you to see that your that you're El Shaddai, the God Almighty, the all-sufficient one, and that we could come to you, Lord, with, with any need, any request with any confession, with any desire, Lord, for, for repentance and restoration, and God, that you will meet us in that place and receive us with open arms. We pray, God, that as we set this time aside to come before you, that you would hear us, receive us, and answer our requests. In Jesus' name and according to your will. Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we worship you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.